Just before we actually open the Bible together, I need four volunteers who have got great skills at drama or can read. Go on, Mike. You can stay sat down for a minute. We don't need you just yet. Anyone else? Mark. Mark's being volunteered. Actually, your name's on there as well, so you can be Mark. And anyone else? I'll go picking people. Go. There we go. And one more. There we go. Thank you. We'll, we'll come to those in a minute. If you've got a Bible in front of you, do you want to turn to page 946 in the Bibles that are dotted around the church, reading from Matthew's Gospel? This is Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 10. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there, and there they will see me. Amen. Just have the PowerPoint on, Phil. If you're here on Friday at our Good Friday service, we were using some really beautiful paintings that Jonathan Boyers, who's the the minister down at People's Church in Partington, had, had drawn. And both me and Darren were lamenting that this is more like our art skill level. This is the kind of thing that I draw. This is what it would look like if it was reality. That's a zebra, just in case you were wondering. Or this would be my interpretation of a bike. And reality would quickly follow. Anyone guess what this is? A car. Anyone have a car like that? (laughs) Anyone want a car like that? (laughs) Or this one? Cat? Any any advance on a cat? Sausage? (laughs) It is indeed a cat. When you try and draw things, sometimes there is a big gulf between what is in your mind and what is reality. And in my case, I find it very difficult to bridge that gap. I don't know if you saw the news this week, if anyone's been reading the BBC News website. There was this headline, Resurrection did not happen, says quarter of Christians. Just to read a bit of that article, it says, A quarter of people who describe themselves as Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, a survey commissioned by the BBC suggests. However, almost one in ten people of no religion say they do believe the Easter story, but it has some content 
that should not be taken literally. So for many people, including a quarter of people who will probably be in church this Sunday morning, and one in ten people who have some idea of the Easter story, they think actually that the resurrection is more like this. Perhaps a bit of truth in it, but you can't really take it too literally. It's like one of those drawings. There's a bit of a gap between reality and what we find in the Bible. Now, I want to suggest to us this morning the total opposite. I want to suggest that what we find in our Bibles is a record of what happened, that these are real events that happened to real people, people like you and me, who experienced the risen Christ on that Easter morning. Three reasons why I want to suggest this. The first one is this. If you're going to make up a story and ask people to believe it, make it believable. When I was at school, you may relate to this, did anyone have a homework diary? Yeah? Did anyone have to get the parents to sign their homework diary? Yeah? I used to have to get that. That that used to happen to me. And you used to have to fill in what the homework was, and then it used to have to be signed off by my mum at the end of the week. The problem was, is sometimes my mum didn't sign it off. I signed it off. (laughs) And I got to be quite a good forger of my mum's signature. I have since repented and and been forgiven. Don't worry about all that. But I used to get quite good, and there was nothing to tell between the two. I was talking to Claire about this yesterday. She's given me permission to share this. And she said, well, you should have gone one better and do what I did. She never got her mum to sign the homework book, and so just signed it on her mum's behalf all the way through. And then at one point, her mum realised she was meant to be signing it, so signed the book, and Claire got called in and said she'd been forging a mum's forging a mum's signature. So you did it the wrong way round. We need our volunteers in a moment, so if you could just get ready to come up. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist in the God Delusion, says this: Nobody knows who the four evangelists were but they were almost certainly never met Jesus personally. Much of what they wrote was in no sense an honest attempt at history. The Gospels are ancient fiction. Can we have our dramatists up? Give them a round of applause. So, Mark, do you want to just come in second, and then we know who's who? So, if we go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay, see what I'm doing there. Okay, now you'll just have to pass the mic back and Sue amongst yourselves. Can Can you manage that? Right, who starts? Luke. This is the imaginary conversation. And it's about Easter. Go on. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's have another round of drinks. I've got an idea that I want to run past you. Sure, what's on your mind? Well, you probably heard about this Nazarene called Jesus who was crucified yesterday, and I think he could be the perfect candidate for our fake Messiah project. Whoa, only one problem. He's dead. Yeah, but but that just means that we'll control the narrative. We'll be in charge of his reputation. Who would follow a dead Messiah? Nobody. So we'll begin with a resurrection myth. We'll hire some thugs to fight off the soldiers guarding the tomb so that we can just get rid of the corpse. But a missing corpse isn't the same as a resurrection. Okay, yep. So we'll have to persuade Jesus' friends to spend the next 30 years telling everybody he's risen from the dead, even if sticking to that story 
means they'll be imprisoned or killed. Okay, then what? Well, to make a conspiracy credible, you need precise details. So we'll invent loads of stories where Jesus interacts with people in specific locations. Well, won't people just disapprove the stories by visiting those places and asking around? There's no need to worry about that. We could invent a story (laughs) about a synagogue ruler's terminally ill daughter being healed, give the synagogue ruler a name set in a specific place, and still no one, no one would would bother to actually go and check with the people living in that place to fact check. Everyone would just swallow the story whole. It sounds like we're on safe ground there, but, but if we want people to follow Jesus, he'll need a message. People have been waiting for the Messiah for centuries. It's got to be worth listening to uh, when he finally appears. Good point. I'll cook up some deep quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. Yeah, Mark's right. Uh, You need to put some profound wisdom on Jesus' lips so that the theological scholars can happily study it for their entire careers. No problem. Great. Okay, guys. Well, it'll take a while to put these documents together, and uh, we probably need to get huge communities of people worshipping Jesus in the meantime, so that when the books actually come out, they'll get a good reception. There's a guy I know who can help with that, Saul. He'll be fantastic. But Saul the Pharisee, I can't imagine him getting on board with this kind of thing. Trust me, he's our man. I see him leaving behind everything he's been trained to do and starting congregations of Jesus worshippers throughout the Roman Empire, whatever it costs him personally, healing, shipwrecks and, and the like. Awesome. But Luke, can you just remind me, what's the point of all of this? I mean, what exactly do we get out of this? Come on, it'll be fun! Ah. You know, we'll watch people being brutally martyred, and we'll know it's because they were deceived by our fiction. Yeah. And then, what, 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 what could you possibly not like about that? I agree with Luke. This is definitely worth years of effort on our part. Count me in. Yeah, me too. Oh, all right. I'll do it if my name comes first in all of the promotional material. <laughs> okay, let's get to work. Let's give them a round of applause, shall we? The resurrection, I believe, is a real event. You see how far-fetched you have to make it to say it was all made up? So that's one reason. I hope you remember that point after that drama. The second one was this. There are loads of witnesses to the resurrection of the risen Jesus Christ. If you go into the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, Paul tells us that 500 people at one point encountered the risen Christ. 500 people, that's like what, two or three times the number in this room. People could have gone and checked out the facts. Paul was only writing 25, 30 years after the events took place. And within weeks of the resurrection, the church is growing at an incredible rate. Third reason, and this is a very personal reason, along with millions, if not billions of Christians around the world, I have encountered the risen Jesus. I don't mean I've met him personally. Jesus has ascended into heaven. But by his Holy Spirit that has been poured out, I've met him in my life, in my heart, and I can say that Jesus is alive. So what can we say then about this passage in Matthew this morning? What can we say in the next few minutes? 
Well, it's a bit of a journey from Friday to Sunday. Mary Magdalene and Mary had been, Matthew tells us, at the events of Good Friday. They'd been there watching these horrific, brutal events as Jesus was crucified. They'd witnessed the terrible pain. They'd seen what happened to the earth as Jesus was crucified, the the earthquakes and the stones splitting. They'd have seen the tombs opening and those, those dead holy people coming out of the tombs. And now here they are at the tomb. All Matthew tells us is that they went to have a look. <clears throat> the other gospel writers tell us a bit more, but Matthew just tells us that. But you know, the empty tomb of Jesus can't be understood until we first got our, te- our heads around the terror of the cross. To understand that Jesus died for our sin. All that rubbish stuff in our life, all that guilt, all those things that we do against one another, against ourselves, against our world, against God. That Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, would die in brokenness on a cross because he loves us and because God loves us to eternity and back. Mary and Mary Magdalene, they've taken that journey. They have come all the way through with Jesus. They have been there when Jesus dies and now they're here at the tomb. So for us today, the resurrection news is only the most incredible event in the history of humanity if we first realize why Jesus died. Why he died and then rose from the dead. He did that out of love for each of us. He did that because God loved us first. And he did that to bring us hope of forgiveness, certain hope of forgiveness, assurance of forgiveness, and hope of eternal life. Second thing is that this is a day of beginnings. Matthew tells us that an angel came from heaven, rolled the stone away, and sat on it. And there were guards who were there posted by the tomb. They didn't have a really exciting job, these guards. They'd have been there probably all night, stood there, just waiting by the tomb, making sure that nobody pinched the body. And suddenly, they have the fright of their lives. And these two men, who were very much alive, and I wonder if there's a bit of humour here in the way Matthew actually words it, suddenly become like they're dead. So the living become the dead, if you like. They're terrified. They look like they've died. And it's just a reminder to me, actually, that for so often, life, what people think is living, what people think is important, is in fact not the road to life, but the road to death and destruction. It's a road that is in totally the wrong direction. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. You know, it's so easy to follow the road of normality in our world. It's so easy to become disillusioned with anything about Jesus. To to think, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And to start just thinking, well, I'll just get on with my life. I'll get a job. I'll get a career. I'll buy a house. I'll buy a bigger house. I'll buy an even bigger house and a smaller house. Then I'll go away in a box, and that's it. And it's easy to think that that's all there is. But actually, Jesus says there's something very different. There's something bigger. Life is far bigger than all of that. He has something much greater to offer us. So here were the guards guarding a grave, the the living looking like the dead. Because inside this grave, the occupant is gone. He's not there. The only thing that's going to die in this grave, in this tomb, is death itself. And the terror and the fear of the grave. And as the stone is rolled away, Jesus isn't there. The angel invites the women to look in and have a look, see what they see. And then you get this amazing verse, verse 6. 
He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Mary and Mary Magdalene, they don't get to see how Jesus raised from the dead. They don't get to witness that. In fact, that is beyond our understanding what God is doing here. But God is in the business of doing things we don't understand, in the business of doing things that we can't get our head around. And in fact, raising people from the dead, God had done other times through the scriptures. There are ten incidents through the Bible of people being raised from the dead. And that's if you include Jesus and the holy people who who were raised at the, the time of the resurrection. But all but one of them would die again. The widow of Zarephath's son in the days of Elijah, Lazarus, Jairus' daughter. In a way, I feel sorry for them. Because they not only experienced death once, but twice. But actually, Jesus, he was raised never to die again. What God is doing here is something absolutely incredible. He's not just raising somebody from the dead, but he is defeating death itself. So death no longer has horror. Death no longer has hold over us if we follow Jesus. And the most amazing news of the resurrection is when we pass through repentance and faith at Calvary, we come to this amazing Easter morning of resurrection hope and life forever. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And Jesus says, do you want to be part of this newness? Do you want to be part of this resurrection, hope, and joy this morning? Do you want to follow him into that future? Whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the thousandth time, to say yes to Jesus. Third thing we find towards the end of the passage is joy. It says, um, verse 8, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. I went to the dentist on Wednesday. That, that wasn't joyful, just in case you were wondering. Um, in fact, it was the opposite. Since being about age six, I have been terrified of going to the dentist, for no apparent reason. So I'm sat there in the waiting room of this very nice dentist with a lovely receptionist and some very nice tropical fish and magazines that have been there since 2004, and you're reading them thinking, why am I reading this? But I'm sat there gripping the chair with terror. And that's the terror of fear, fear of the unknown, fear of having to open my mouth and having somebody prod at my teeth. Horrible, awful. I just go because I know I have to. But that kind of terror can grip us, can't it? Now, it could be the terror of the dentist or the terror of spiders, or it could be something rather deeper. It could be the terror of living or the terror of dying or the terror of becoming ill or the terror of losing somebody. All kinds of terror and fear. But you know, there's another type of fear. And it's a very different type of fear. And it's the fear of excitement that's mixed in with excitement. I don't know if you've ever had that sort of fear. I can remember the first time I went on an aeroplane going on holiday. And I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know what the destination was like, didn't know what it was like flying. And I was sat there. And there's sort of that tingling excitement. I don't know what the, the, what's coming, but I know it's going to be good. Have you ever experienced that kind of thing? I think that's the type of fear and excitement and joy that happens here at Resurrection. And what happens is Jesus comes to remove that first fear and replace it with that second sort. That sort of excitement of following him. So the woman leaves. They're afraid, but they're not like the guards. They're not terrified looking like dead people. They're excited as to what the future holds. 
But with it goes that fear that what is God doing? What is God doing? But that excitement and joy together. And they leave with life ahead. Life that is going to last into eternity. With the excitement of the most amazing new start that there ever has been and ever will be. So I want to ask you today, will you either start or carry on that journey with the risen Jesus? That journey of joy, that journey of excitement, that journey of hope, that journey with a known destination. We're going to be with Jesus forever when we follow him, but with a path that could wind all over the place as we seek to follow him in this life. For these women, for these disciples, it wasn't always easy. Read the book of Acts, you'll find out that actually they went through some pretty tough times. But they knew who went with them, and they knew where they were heading. Because it's a journey that is bathed in resurrection joy, hope of eternity, the power of the Holy Spirit in the present. And it's a journey that the risen Christ calls each of us, by name, out of love, to follow him. Will we do that this Easter? Let's pray. Loving God, as we think about those women there at that first Easter morning, wondering what on earth they were going to find, and suddenly all their fear turned to joy and excitement. Lord, I want to pray if there's any of us here in this room today who are filled with that sort of terrifying fear. Lord, would you replace it with hope and with joy? And Lord, I want to pray that you will help us to respond to you, saying, yes, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to follow you into eternity. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.